0: Welcome to On The Record with Furniture Today, a podcast that goes behind the headlines to look at the news and the newsmakers, the people, and the personalities that give the furniture industry its unique flavor. I'm your host, Bill McLaughlin, Editor-in-Chief of Furniture Today. My guest this week is Christiane Lemieux, serial entrepreneur and founder of The Inside. And I want to talk to you about The Inside Because the reason I I describe you as a serial entrepreneur is you always seem to have a pulse for where the industry is moving. Each time you do something, it seems to be kind of a step ahead of where things are headed. So tell me about the inside and how you recognized where things were headed. Because we talked a little bit about this at the Pinnacles.
1: Yes. well, Well, first of all, thank you for that lofty introduction. I'm not sure I deserve it, but, um, I, I would say that, uh, you know, serial entrepreneur for sure. Um, lover of the home furnishings industry for sure. Um, you know, I, I think I, I, I started a, a, my first company was a, was a home furnishings brand called dwell studio. Um, and it was very much based on a, you know, traditional, Uh, design, manufacturing, holding inventory, wholesaling, we had a retail store, we got into e-commerce, we dropped catalogs, we had direct mail, we did all of those, um, we did all of those sort of standard things, Um, and um, I learned very quickly how much money it takes to actually run and build a business, um, and also the perils of, of inventory. Um, and so in 2013, I sold my company to Wayfair um, and, and went to join what really is an extraordinary group of people who think about um, our industry through the lens of e-commerce strictly, but also, um, you know, just just incredibly thoughtful, disciplined, focused business people. And so I would say that I learned a ton at Wayfair. Um, I wouldn't, you know, I I wouldn't have done it any differently. Um, And the kind of outcome of that was I thought to myself, wow, like I really, really love design and brand. Um, But you know what? These guys at Wayfair are so smart. They've got this business figured out. What if I could combine both? So what if I could figure out how to, um, you know, do all of the things that I love to do in terms of product design, bringing things to the market, surprising and delighting the customer and the tra- and the and the trade, but also have some of the fun, the sort of underlying business fundamentals like, you know, no inventory, drop shipping, um, uh, e-commerce, direct to consumer, all of these things that are kind of the future of every business. Um, and that's how the inside was really born. And also, like, I have to I have to add that, you know, one of the things that that is that is surprising to a lot of people is that the, the furniture industry is really made on demand in the U.S. And I, and I felt like nobody was really celebrating that. So the inside really is a celebration of the partners we work with and the amazing way that, you know, regardless of where you buy the piece of furniture, it's being made for you when it's ordered and and we wanna, you know, celebrate that. And that's that's something that we take very seriously at the inside. So it really is a collaboration between what we design as a company and the manufacturers we have across the United States.
0: You make that sound really easy. You know, I recognize this <laughs> opportunity and I recognize the juxtaposition of this and this and and I thought it would be really good to do this and It's not in any way as easy as you just made that sound. I mean, (laughs) making furniture on demand and getting it to consumers who expect to get things like I order it now, I get it this afternoon. Right. Um, So what had to go on behind all of that to lay the groundwork? How, How long did that take you? What was involved?
1: Okay, so so yes, you're right. So the, the, this has been years in the making. So I, the first thing that I had to do was I had to really put the supply chain together. And you know, as you know, there are incredible manufacturers across this this country that are making product on demand. Um, we, the kind of guardrails we put around that were anybody that could do it in under three weeks, which seems to be the to me anyway, and to consumers the sort of golden the sort of golden um, time frame. So uh, and and there are many extraordinary suppliers who can fulfill and under that timeline. So we went out to all of them um, and 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 you know got people on board. We were also um, really interested, based on my you know years of being in the upholstery business with Robert Allen through a license. Um, you know, thinking about what what do consumers and what do the trade really want um, to access in terms of like a digital platform, and it's really you know taking whatever category they're interested in, whether it's outdoor furniture or indoor furniture or wallpaper or rugs or bedding or many of the categories that we're getting into and and customizing that. And so we did, you know, to your point, have to build a very extensive supply chain. Um, And then on top of that, the technology, so the platform To allow people um, to do digitally what we wanted to help them do, which is, you know, at the end of the day, digitizing decorating. So, um, so there's a tremendous amount of 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 technology involved. Um, And and you know, for the first time in in my business career, I have a I have a a a whole engineering team that works uh, you know day in day out to make sure that the customer can do what we want them to be able to do, uh, sort of frictionlessly and seamlessly.
0: Was that one of the things that you learned at Wayfair?
1: Um, what I learned at Wayfair is, uh, you know, that that people want to shop for this category online in a very big way, um, and that frictionless technology is the only way to help them do that. Um, I also learned, you, you know, from my own experiences at the inside that, uh, like, we love our supply chain. We think our our, our manufacturing partners um, across this country are phenomenal. But at the end of the day, what the consumer wants is what they want as quickly as possible, as inexpensively as possible, shipped as seamlessly as possible, um, and to, to the extent we can deliver the best quality and the most beautiful design out there. So, you know, this really is one, the age of the consumer and two, the age of personalization. And so that was really a fundamental part of everything we put into building this business, because I think you know, uh, the the more, the more, you know, the digital native shopper comes online, the more their expectations are aligned with that, you know, they're getting their, their uh, shampoo customized, their, their, uh, their, you know, uh, consumer products like, you know, skincare, vitamins, all of these things are being customized for them. So those expectations along with, you know, free, fast shipping, et cetera, et cetera, are 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 walking right into our uh, our you know our, our sector as well.
0: How did you balance the needs of a no inventory model with the ability to give consumers customization? Because if you think of those things on the surface, you would say there's no way that those things are are mutually exclusive, right? Right. Um, but you have done that very successfully. How do you figure that out? What's the what's the secret sauce?
1: Well, I think the secret sauce is that it, you know it, 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 that's the way that that's the way that the furniture industry is is structured in this company in this country, right? Because it, it actually is being made on demand, and so all we did was leverage that incredible capability, but stick um, the front end sort of technology on that, so that people could could you know really. Um, get the best of the American furniture manufacturing with, you know, via technology. So it, it, was, it was out there. We just had to create a platform where, uh, where consumers could, could interface with the right tools to be able to get exactly what they wanted from a custom furniture perspective.
0: You've also done some curation, right? Because yes. unlimited customization becomes overwhelming. An overwhelming consumer freezes, shops, uh, delays the shopping purchase and walks away. Um, curation seems to be really key and you, your site really does that exceptionally well.
1: Right, you, you have paralysis of choice. I totally agree. So what we're trying to do slowly but surely is is also refine that, refine that, refine that so that the consumer isn't faced with a paralysis of choice. But you know, it was really my dream to bring that great uh, decorator experience um, that you get in, in a place like the, the D&D building in New York or the, P- the Pacific Design Center in Los Angeles or, you know, the design centers in San Francisco or, or, or Boston where – as an interior designer, you can go in and you can choose your piece of furniture from a, you know, a plethora of amazing manufacturers. And then you can choose your fabric and you can marry them to get the the, the, like the perfect custom piece. And I thought to myself, wow, you know, there are there are only a few a handful of cities in the, in the country where you can do that. What if we what if we figured out how to create an interface that allowed you to do that seamlessly digitally? And that's really what we ran after. And so it's it's access both for the consumer um, and also access for the interior designer to be able to, you know, to, to, to be able to do that seamlessly online. And it also, you know what it does? It highlights all of these incredible manufacturers' capabilities. And so um, it's a win-win-win, which is, you know, my, my underlying business philosophy.
0: You have experimented with customization and speed to market with Cloth & Company. Yeah. What did you... Just for, for for folks who may not be familiar with cloth and company, just kind of give them a, a, a brief overview of what that experience was. And but what what did you learn from that?
1: Um, well, that was a B2B business, mm-hmm. um, and so I, I learned a lot. I learned that, you know, I learned that my thesis around exclusive product for, um, you know, for for B2B customers was was real. And you know, consumers are looking for, I believe, something that is outside of just gray furniture. And it is amazing to me. So we we tested that through platforms like Target and uh, Bed Bath and Beyond and uh, what, you know World Market. Um, and, and the desire for people to be able to have something that is unique to them was proved out. And and then to to me it 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 was the next step was building a a, a platform that allowed consumers to do this themselves directly so to, to really kind of have their own hand in in the decorating process um, and that required the the sort of the technological build that we did at the inside.
0: Well, there was also kind of a I mean you, I think you the term that we were using at the time was fast fashion, right? The the ability to kind of almost print design on demand.
1: Yes. Yeah.
0: Do you think that has applications in the consumer space?
1: I do. I, th- I think that, I, listen, I, I believe that on demand is the future for m- many, many, many different business categories. Um, I'm looking to uh, some of these new sites like Choosy, um, which is in the fashion space, which actually uses an algorithm to predict trend around um, apparel, and then they produced, uh, they produced small quantities of those trend-driven um, uh, styles on demand for consumers. And so what it does is it combines both the sort of fast fashion of some of these larger chains that, you know, can use economies of scale to really change prices, Um, but it it gets rid of the inventory and waste. And so we think about that the same way here. I mean, we have no waste um, and we have no excess inventory. And I think that that's not only the right way to do it for the consumer and the industry, also it's the right way to do it for the planet, to be honest. So we don't have a warehouse full of product that's waiting to be sold. We make it when the consumer orders it or the designer orders it. Um, and and that's actually the way the manufacturers make it too. So what we're really doing is shining a spotlight on what they do best.
0: It's kind of ironic that in some ways, what is very new about what you're doing is what is very traditional about the furniture business. It's almost like we've come 360 degrees full circle.
1: Totally, and and I think that now we're appreciating. Wait a second, like all of this is the way furniture gets built in the United States. Um, we don't want, you know, huge warehouses full of products that have been imported because, you know, the, the price points are low. We can do both here. Right. And, and I think that I think you're right. I think it's I, I, I don't know if it's ironic, if it's coming full circle, if it's, you know, if it's, you know, finally uh, us appreciating how these, how these manufacturers make their product. I I think it's all of those things. And so I think we, we sort of put that into the mental blender when we, when we were building the inside.
0: You you were the keynote speaker at the Pinnacle Awards this year, and we had an opportunity to talk a little bit about your enthusiasm for your, for design Mm
1: -hmm. and the
0: concept of design. Mm -hmm. Um, what do you think needs to happen for consumers to start to appreciate the value of that in their product, so that we move away from this kind of disposable mindset?
1: Uh, I, you know, I, I think that that I'm hope, I hope that, that that comes from this interaction that they have with the product. So the more they're able to uh, to customize it, to be part of the design journey, the more there's a real emotional connection there between. Um, the piece of furniture, the interior that they create, that they're creating, the life that they're building around their home, um, what it means to them when they come into a space that is, you know, not generic, that is truly theirs, how that makes them feel, right? Because uh, we have the distinct privilege of helping people create the backdrop of their lives. And I think more and more, their expectations are that it is personal to them. More and more, their expectations are that it, there's a you know there's almost a wellness component to it, right? It makes them feel good, and so if they feel good, they're living better lives, and that's all tied into uh, design interiors and the way we think about that.
0: Very philosophical.
1: So, very philosophical.
0: Um, you have now created a number of businesses, meaning that you have had to figure out how to hire employees, manage Mm -hmm. employees, create corporate culture, um, scale businesses. Tell me about your philosophy of corporate culture and the kind of people you wanna work with and how you hire and how you build your companies.
1: You know, it, it, it has changed a lot over the years. So when I when I started Dwell Studio, probably it was 15 years ago, 16 years ago. Um, you know, I, I was a kid out of college. And I think that largely I thought about the world in terms of like, you know, you hire people, you're the boss and that's the way it gets done. Um, the world has changed so radically. Um, and I just wrote a business book that's actually coming out in, in June called called Frictionless. Um, and one of the things that we we tackled was was corporate culture. And there were some really inter- interesting in- interviews that sort of underscored what how I think about this now, which is, you know, the, the, the people are the organization. Um, and if you can't if you can't build a great corporate culture that really speaks to um, shared actions. You probably won't be able to scale a business and it's more important than ever because what people are optimizing for now is not just salary right it's it's salary it's shared values it's shared actions it's um you know passion it's all of those things people think about jobs now in a very different way than they used to it's really 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 fundamentally isn't about a paycheck and so you know, for, for, for us to hire people, I, I think we've got to start with people that are passionate about the space and the, and, and design, but also um, people that are passionate about, in, in a lot of ways, sustainability, because we're really sort of digging into that with this new supply chain. Um, and and I, I also think that we look for, you know, we look for our, our kind of underlying motto is cozy, but not complacent. So people that are willing to hold hands, to um, help each other out, to create an environment that feels um, supportive but not complacent, and so we really look for people that are entrepreneurial, um, not only in their mindset but in their particular silos. And I think that that's very helpful, especially at this stage. Like I I think that hiring thoughtfully um, changes at at sort of you know critical mass. I mean, then you get people that are much more specialized. But you know, we're a team of Ten at this point, and so everybody is cross-functional, um, and and everybody, you, you know, everybody works together. And so if you can't be part of that dynamic, it, it, we, we've learned very early on that that there's probably no long-term place for, um, you know, people that are not cozy but compl- cozy but not complacent in our org structure. So it's it's really interesting and it's really nuanced and it's really different than it was. A decade ago
0: what is where is that period of or, or that place of critical mass i mean right now you're at 10 is it at 30 50 i mean what are the the, the kind of key milestones mm. of scale
1: so i i think that looks different for every business right it depends on it depends on how your organization is structured because um ours is made on demand you know we we we, we probably need more people in the customer service design services area and, and less on, you know, warehousing production, like all of those types of things. So it, 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 it gets reassorted, uh, you know, according to your business model. But I found that, you know, the zero to 10 is one thing. Um, and then at about 50 people, you start to get much more siloed. So you're really building teams with, you know, leadership and then and then sort of uh, specialized people underneath them as opposed to kind of more general athletes before that. I mean, maybe it's at 25 now because because there's there's like a lot of technical function in this particular business that then and anything that's direct to consumer that there wasn't um, maybe in a in a more uh, traditional uh, wholesale retail model.
0: How do you maintain the culture as you do that? Do you have some some specific tactics or strategies that you use?
1: I mean, that is the billion dollar question, right? How do you scale culture? Um,
0: I ask everybody that question for I know, just that I, reason.
1: I know. Uh, so I I am trying to be very thoughtful about that this time. And I would say that, you know, but my third business in, I I never thought about about culture and scaling culture in the same way that I do now, because I do, I think that you're right. I think that that is the difference between um, a really successful company and a somewhat successful company. Um, And it's because I think that if you, if you build the right culture, people are willing to help each other out. And if they're willing to help each other out, then the company ultimately succeeds because of that. I think that a toxic culture can, can uh, can destroy a company. And I never thought about it before because it's not only in, internal, but external. So we, we share so much uh, with each other about our, our working environments now that if you create a co- toxic culture, that's going to affect your ability to hire great people. And I've seen that even at 10. And so we, we've had one or two people come into our organization where there wasn't a cultural fit. And we actually had to get rid of them very quickly because they were impacting the the people that that were in the culture that were working very well and also in, impacting our, our ability to hire great talent. And the minute that you you know the minute you can't hire great talent, you're in very, very big trouble. Um, and so people really diligence your corporate culture now, which is something that I wouldn't say was the case even, even five years ago. Um, and it's because we can all talk about it so much. So we are, we are very thoughtful. And I think that I would say a higher, we're hiring slowly as opposed to just piling people on. Like, and, th- and that's really thoughtful. And I think as a result, we're growing um, at, at a pace that is sustainable, but we're bringing on people that really add to the culture. Um, and we are, we are um, you know, letting people back into the employment pool as quickly as possible if they don't fit that bill. Um, And that is, that is, I think that companies have to work that way now because um, it's so important.
0: Is there, I mean, one of the things that we do when we bring on a new editor, right, we give them a writing test and we we role play an interview, right? We give them a a story and we say, okay, and, and one of our editors will play an executive and now go interview them and produce a story ready, you have an hour, go. Is there some process or some series of questions that you, that you use that you think are really unique to either the way you approach or that identify the, the particular attributes of a person that you're looking for?
1: Um, well, we run them for the swatch test. Which swatch are you? <laughs> <laughs> so they have to decide before they come in which swatch they are um, and why. And so that'll, that'll, that'll tell you a couple of things. First of all, their level of preparedness, right? I mean, have they gone onto the site? Do they really know what they're talking about? Um, it will show a little bit. It's almost like, our, it's, like it's like our uh, Myers-Briggs, right? It'll show a little bit of who they are as people. Um, it will, you know, does, the, does their swatch personality match their function in the company? I think that sometimes we can, we can extrapolate there. It's, and it's kind of an icebreaker. Um, but beyond that, I think it's a lot, a lot of it is we're looking for people who, who solve problems creatively, because the thing about a startup and scaling a, 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 a nascent business is that a lot of it is consistently solving problems that come your way, whether it's, you know, how the user experiences the flow on the site, or, you know, how our manufacturers are receiving our print-on-demand fabric across, you know, 15 different uh, facilities across the country and making sure that you know there's consistency across color like it's really complicated top to bottom side to side, so we want people that can that that are entrepreneurial in their own in their own lanes and can creative creatively problem solve so a lot of that is also for us project based so once you pass the swatch test. We we will construct a project that will allow us to understand, A, how the candidate thinks, and B, how adept they are at creative problem solving, and then C, probably their level of like entrepreneurial drive.
0: How do you measure entrepreneurial drive?
1: How do you measure entrepreneurial drive? Um, That's a really good question. I don't know. I think some of it is intuitive to me, Um, but you know... you, I'm you just get the, curious
0: what you ask, or, or like, how do you how do you identify that? You know, is there?
1: I I, try, I look at their their a lot of it is like is, is like it's kind of like an algorithm of looking at their their kind of past um, performance resume wise, um, what their what their moves have been, um, and then when you look at the the project, like how thoughtful they are, um, how many lanes they've gone down. Um, and 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 kind of just just the feeling of general hustle, right? Because one of the things about entrepreneurs is it, it like the, the the sort of looking for that characteristic is is the creative problem solving, is the level of hustle, and is the 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 sort of myriad of ways they've looked at their problem. And so in all of those cases, more is better.
0: Interesting.
1: Yeah. It's also gut. Like a lot of it is gut. It's like sitting across from somebody, you get a feeling um, from them, you know, wh- wh- how, much of a, uh, how much of a hustler they are. We just interviewed somebody um, as a trade candidate coming from one of the big verticals. And you know what? She displayed tremendous hustle. Um, and, and sometimes, even though she doesn't necessarily have the Rolodex that I'd be looking for for a trade candidate, she has the hustle that maybe it is worth more than that. Because I have no doubt that she will she will be able to go out and hustle up the rolodex very quickly. So it's one of those things. You know, you're constantly weighing the pros and cons.
0: One of the things that I hear people say a lot about young people coming into the workplace today is that they are missing some of the soft skills. And people of my generation and who have been in business for a long time sometimes I think take those things for granted. Um, do you have a, a strategy or a, a way that you coach for soft skills or is that something that you look for in the interview process?
1: I, I, I get, you know what it's something that I that I look for in the interview process. Um, and I think again that that's like a, something where you rely on your intuition. Um, soft skill that, soft skills are also uh, it's a, I feel like this generation has a lot of soft skills. I don't know. I don't know that I would I don't know how like I, I feel like they're you they're, reject
0: the premise of my question. I get it.
1: I'm, I might reject the premise of your question. I'm just thinking about it. I think they have a lot of they have a lot more soft skills um, than my my first go round because their expectations are higher um, w- with respect to, you know, interpersonal relationships in the in the office. They expect to be Um, they expect to be, uh, you know, part of the conversation, they expect transparency, they expect open dialogue, you know, in a way that is really different than corporate cultures, even, you know, even 10 years ago. So I I don't, you know, I I, I think that the, the the people that are sort of the, the most vocal about, you know, their expectations um, end up getting them met. So, I don't know, I have to think about that.
0: We'll, we'll circle back when your book comes out. Okay. So, okay. Frictionless, I'd yeah. like to talk about that title. You, you use that term to describe the user experience and the consumer experience when they shop your site, but I suspect that it, it has multiple meanings. What are, are some of the meanings of when you use, why, why that title?
1: Um, because I, th- I think that, I, I think that that is, uh, it, that is what we are after um, as, as digital humans. And so if you think about it, like I think about it constantly with respect to how we deliver products to our consumers, right. And um, whether they're trade or, or, you know, direct to consumer, I think that people are looking for the most frictionless, um, experience and, and and look nobody does it better I, I think a lot of ways than than somebody like Amazon actually Wayfair does an excellent job of a of, of frictionless um, transaction as well and that's that you go on the site um, and with one or two clicks you can get to the place that you're looking for and then you can easily you can easily and frictionlessly check out and that the, the you know the product gets delivered to you uh, in a rational time at a price that you feel good about right like that whole thing end to end is pretty frictionless and when we think about all of the best businesses out there they really do that and the minute you start to throw friction in the way of your customer or client or anything that's when they if they if you, if, you, if the the higher the level of frustration the lower the level of conversion in any kind of uh, relationship and it doesn't matter if it's good services fintech you know grocery delivery all of those things if you make your 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 interaction with anybody filled with friction you know even personally um you're you're you, i i think that your the chances of of you know getting in front of that customer person client whatever again is greatly diminished hmm. And I also think, look, I mean, this is philosophical, too. I, I mean, we've all learned that the only thing we cannot buy or change or, you know, add to is time. And so the less friction you cause in an interaction, the the sort of the, the more quickly it happens, the, the happier people are with the outcome and the more time they get back.
0: Speaking of time, given all of the things that you've done, over your career and the businesses time management has to be something that you wrestle with all the Mm -hmm. time, all
1: the time, all the time. How
0: do you, how do you decide what's worth your attention and what you can just ignore or put off?
1: Okay. So Neeraj taught me something, which I have, like one of his greatest gifts he gave me was stack ranking priorities. So, um, I, I had never heard of that, and I think it's something that engineers do. Um, and there's, I use, a, I use a, an application called Trello, which I think engineers use to create queues to stack rank what's like, the most necessary in terms of um, you know, fixes or solves for, for technology for a website. But I use it, and actually a lot of people use similar you know, software now, um, to stack rank their priorities. And so I have an ongoing list of like the 37 things that need to be done. And I and I stack rank them every day in terms of priority. And obviously, like my kids come first. So whatever they need goes to the top of the list. And then everything else comes after that. Um, and, and you know what, after like a couple of months of doing that fairly methodically, there are things that start to fall off on a consistent basis. Um, and, and if they start to fall off on a consistent basis, then I realize that I never have time for them. And so going forward probably shouldn't commit to them. And so it's like a self-actualizing, self-editing mechanism that is pretty phenomenal. And so, um, you know, I started doing that lightly at Wayfair because I was so amazed about, you know, how productive it was. And now I do it um, on a daily basis.
0: Just to be sure, Trello is a T-R-E-L-L-O.
1: T-R-E-L-L-O. Yep. That's the one I use. I mean, there's a, there's a whole bunch of, 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 of those types of interfaces. Now Trello has like a, it's great because it's great on desktop and mobile.
0: Well, I, the the only reason I ask is I literally am writing that down because I wrestle yeah. with that myself when you, you know when you have to manage people and projects across a, a variety of timelines that right. ability... so then you,
1: yeah you, you, and also you go in and do it because I, I highly recommend it because you can you can set up your you can set up your your verticals your silos and then you can you can stack rank each one of them right and it's pretty amazing
0: well I'm gonna practice this just so I can figure out how to get higher up on nears just stack. i'm gonna game the system
1: i mean yeah he he's he's pretty incredible and and stack ranking is pretty great like it's a it's a really useful tool not only from an organizational perspective but i like i find it incredibly useful personally and i i i never really started to think about about the world in, in that way until um until wayfair and i understand why they are you know the The incredible machine that they are because I mean, I think they stack rank every decision and back it into return on investment. And you can be sure that not like nothing wasteful is happening, which, you know, when you apply that to your life is a pretty great thing.
0: I'm just always interested in new approaches to, to addressing. I mean, I ask just about everybody that question about time mm. management, because I think we all struggle with that. And you right. are the first person I have heard use the term stack ranking and actually mm-hmm. talk about it in such an engineered and systematic way. Um,
1: well, it's, all, it's also amazing because when you start to use interfaces like that, like a Trello, you, you could, it's, it's also, I'm a visual learner, right? And so I can see it. Like I can see what my day looks like, what I need to get done. What are the most important things? And if I have to start to, if I have to rank my priorities and things need to fall off, like it's pretty clear to me visually exactly what those things are. Um, and, you know, when you're optimizing for your children, like everything else comes behind that and 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 that gets to be pretty easy too.
0: Okay. So you brought up your children. I'm curious, do, do they know that mom is um, a famous and successful entrepreneur <laughs> are you, or are you just, hey, mom, can I have a sandwich?
1: No, I'm like I'm like, you know, that the, like they they rolled their eyes at me. I'm you know, I'm like the, the I'm just mom. That's what they tell me. Like you, you that talk about stack ranking. I'm like <laughs> very I'm very low on their rank after like, you know, TikTok and Instagram and like their friends and basketball practice. I'm just mom.
0: Aren't we all?
1: Right? We yeah. all are. Yeah. Parents are like parents I mean It is. yeah. It is the uh, if you're looking for for accolades, it's it's not the that's that's not the top of the stack rank in in terms of jobs. (laughs) No, if
0: anyone ever needs a dose of humility, children are a great delivery system for that.
1: Oh, my God. Yeah, absolutely. They can they, they, they can bring you to your knees more quickly than anybody else.
0: Yeah, but they also lift you up too. I mean, it's they just totally a, do. Oh no, it's a great it, thing.
1: It, yeah, it's the that is it's it is it, that is my my stack rank, my first job, my greatest job, my greatest calling. Um, that they they are light blue in my Trello board, and they get kicked to the top every single day.
0: <laughs> ah, light blue is the, the top rank. Okay.
1: right yeah well it's it's the it's the color it's the color field associated with my children you'll see get in there I mean I'm telling you the most amazing thing that bell is like what falls off right and if it if something falls off consistently guess what you do you stop doing it and that that is the most freeing thing it's like wait a second like I'm dragging all this dead weight and I can see exactly what it is and from now on when I'm asked to do these things or I'm thinking about this I'll just say no and that frees up my stack rank for things that I really prioritize um, because we all, you know, we all, all of us, you know, are inclined to tr- try and do as much as possible. Um, and, and there's, you know, it turns out there's not enough time in the day that technology has, you know, made us 24, seven operators. Um, and that if you can see where you're, you know, where you're dragging and, and unload that it's, it's pretty freeing.
0: It sounds like it. I'll I'll uh, I'll let you know how it goes. We'll circle back on Trello.
1: Okay, I'm going to follow up with you and make sure that uh, that you that you're sloughing off the dead weight.
0: <laughs> so it's it seems like you always seem to be looking ahead, keeping an eye on what's next, where the where things are going. I'm always curious and studying kind of the trajectory of current events, the trajectory of business. From a philosophical standpoint, is, as you look out over the next 10 years, and I, I'm not going to ask where specifically your business is going, but where do you see consumer home furnishings and, and folks' interaction with that process? Where, where do you see the, the trajectory of that going?
1: I mean, I, I think that you know, for whatever reason, we're the last people to to be really disrupted here. And I think it's going to happen to us. We're going to, you know, we're going to, I, I, I think that home furnishings are going to start to be sold in a completely different way, whether it's, you know, whether it's seeding other retail with our products so that you can interact with it, whether it's, you know, smaller format pop ups, whether it's interior designers, which I think they're starting to do now opening up sort of street level design services with retail. I just I, I think that it's, it's going to be shook up and I think it's going to happen in a lot like the, the sort of interaction and sale of, of home furnishings and home furnishing services are going to happen in a lot of different places. I think the big fundamental shift um, that is not surprising to anybody is that 90% of uh, the, you know, the the sort of first um, interactions in this category happen online now. And they happen with search. So people search this product first before they even walk into stores or pin things on their pin boards or start to, you know, put together a room, either with a design professional or by themselves. And so that is a fundamental shift. And so with that fundamental shift comes a whole bunch of opportunity. Um, and so, you know, I say to my colleagues in the home furnishings industry, like, we, you know what, uh, here we are, we have all this great manufacturing capabilities this industry is phenomenal in this country, but search, you know, the, the intent to buy is starting online. So you really need to get online. You need to have a visual presence. You need to whether, you know, you're wholesale or not, you, you know, you need to be part of the conversation and ignoring that everybody's searching for this product first online will not is just burying your head in the sand. And so I think that that's the first, you know, we need to hold hands and realize that it's gone digital, um, you know, whether people buy it on Wayfair or One Kings Lane or Ikea or, you know, uh, some of the higher end places, or they go into a showroom or a store or somewhere else to interact with a product in person, they're going to have discovered it online. Hmm
0: how do you succeed at search in the age of google adwords and oh. facebook and
1: uh, you know it's I- it's funny that you said that like I, we just had a we just had a, a a a board call and sometimes i'm really frustrated i just i want to say to them why don't you guys just write a check to google and facebook directly because it that's become the name of the game So I I don't know. And this might be wildly optimistic. I have no idea, Bill, because nobody has the answer to that yet. Right. Because it used to be, you know, five years ago, you could really grow and scale a business based on those channels because they weren't as cost prohibitive as they are today. Um, you know, it works, those, those channels will still work for you if you have the, you know, if you have the, I think, volume or scale at this point. I mean, for us, we just don't have that. So the only way I can win in a sea of, of, of all of this is to really is to create beautiful product um, and a great brand. Um, and you know what? I don't even know if that'll work, to be honest. So we'll see. Like, I, you know, I'm hoping that at the end of the day, that 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 design wins um especially in a world you know It's interior design for a reason but I, I you know from a from a digital perspective i don't even know um because those are really big hurdles to get over
0: there was a time when you could create virality right and, yeah you know we joke about it being pictures of cats but um it, it seems that 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 era is over
1: and I, so i, I wonder I,
0: how you pl- I, how you play
1: I think that's right. I think that era is over. And, you know, people ask me all the time, what do you think the next, you know, Instagram is? And and truthfully, there doesn't, I mean, in the horizon right now, there doesn't seem to be something with that kind of power and reach. So, um, you know, I don't, I think that you... You know, really smart digital companies are now going to find their own um, their own channels. You know, I look at at, at, at some of the portfolio companies that I, you know I have the privilege of 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 of, of being a, a contemporary of, and you know, somebody like you know like companies like Hims, you know, they realize that. There was the back of the, you know, locker door in in um, in gyms was like this untapped marketing um, moment. And so they created their own channels. And I think that that's what we're tasked with. We're tasked with creating our own channels, what they are in home furnishings. I don't have the answer to yet, but I'm certainly trying.
0: Well, I think that's a good place to wrap up because <laughs> I have a feeling you're going to figure it out. And when we cover it, everybody will know.
1: No. <laughs> well, thank you. I, I mean, I will, uh, I will, uh, I will take your optimism and uh, try and put it to work. Uh, you know, I, I don't, it is, It that is the billion dollar question.
0: Well, I hope you figure out the answer.
1: Thanks, Bill. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks,
0: Christiane. My guest was Christiane Lemieux. Thank you for joining us.
1: Thanks a lot. Have a great weekend. You too. Okay. Bye-bye. Bye.